So, thank you for bearing with us. <clears throat> Not quite the same excitement as last week, eh? Uh, great to have uh, Brendan and Roderick back with us today, and the rest of their families. <laughs> uh, so, certainly a significant day. We are continuing our sermon series. Oh, you can go along one slide, uh, Jim, if you would. Just leave that one up. Uh, our sermon series is Walking by Faith at the moment, and we're going to spend the next uh, few weeks really just talking about this one story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. But I want to begin today in Matthew chapter 25, and uh, I'm going to read that for us, or with us. If you have it there, turn to it, um, if you have your Bible there, and Matthew 25, and I'm going to start in verse 14. Again, talking about the kingdom of heaven, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
for many of us, that's a familiar story. Uh, perhaps uh, we've heard it previously with um, the, the word talent used uh, through, throughout it. Uh, but talent, I think in, in our language today, uh, we use it exclusively for uh, skills and abilities, don't we? And in, in Jesus' time, it didn't mean that at all. It had nothing to do with skills and abilities. It only had to do with money. Uh, it was a measure of money. In fact, uh, maybe your footnote in your Bible may say something like mine that says it was worth about 15 to 20 years uh, wages for an average, uh, average worker. So if you get, here's some math just to make sure the kids are awake. If you get five bags of gold and each bag of gold is worth 20 years work, Altogether, how many years' wage do you have? Yeah? So we're looking at about 100 years, and they all knew that, about 100 years' worth of wages for that uh, first servant. Okay. That could be somewhere, what are we talking about? How many hundreds of thousands is that? It depends what your average wage is, doesn't it? But... Uh, if you start off with, I don't know, what, $50,000, just throw that out there as kind of an average, and you multiply it by 100, that's a lot of money that this servant is being entrusted with. And even if you are the, uh, the one-bag servant, right, you have just received 50,000 times 20. Right? So that's your million dollars. right? And so even that... Uh, the, the one-bag servant is receiving a large, being entrusted with a large sum of money. And so I think calling them, as the NIV does here, calling them bags of gold, I think helps us um, get a picture for what Jesus was telling. He wasn't just saying, hey, you've been given a gift of patience. Uh, he was saying, no, this is something super valuable that's being entrusted to you. But the point of Jesus' story is not that he's going to give us all a million dollars, okay? Or five million dollars, right? I'm sorry, I know some of you were getting a little excited there at that point, right? Uh, but it, it, what he's saying is that each of us have been given various gifts. I don't think it's wrong for us to apply this to talents, to abilities, gifts, skills, blessings, uh, finances that God has given us. I, I don't think that's inappropriate. And the question that we each then have to answer in light of this story is, what am I doing with my gift? But before we get to that question, I want to work our way towards it. Because the first thing we have to determine is, what gifts has God given me? What gifts has God given me? And if you're taking notes, I guess this is point number one. I don't think we're necessarily working from a fixed list of gifts. I know if we go through the letters of Paul, Paul in a couple of different places says, here's a list of spiritual gifts. Okay. And, but, but what's interesting is if we compare them, they're different. Okay. So they're, n none of the lists that Paul gives are exhaustive. And I want to think that... You know, even if we combine them, we don't have an exhaustive list. So, 
Um, Paul often, he's talking, not, not always, but he's often talking about character traits and attitudes that we have. Um, but it could be that, that we have more practical skills also. Um, in, in fact, in this story, we see that each person is given the same gift, aren't they? They're each given bags of gold. And, and so they're given the same thing. But that's not the case with us, that we're each given the same gift. In fact, it's not even the case that we actually just receive one gift. You know? So we might receive a bag of gold, a bag of silver, a bag of lead. Some of us are thinking, I got a bag of air. That was mine. Um, or something less desirable. Right? I just stink at this or that. And so we can look at different areas of our lives and we can say, you know, I'm good in this area. You know, I'm gifted in this area. I have an ability in this area. But it doesn't mean that I'm a two-bag person. Right? Because I'm not two-bag across the board. I'm not five bags of gold across the board in every area of my life. But neither am I one or zero bags of gold in every area of my life. And so rather, we may receive five bags of musical ability and one bag of gardening. Okay. Some of us might have five bags of organizing or decorating skills, but only one bag of cooking or sewing. Or flip that. Some of us might have five bags of working on computers, but we, we don't have any bags when it comes to teaching other people how to work on computers. And so we each have a list, our own list, of things that we're gifted at and areas where we're not as gifted. And it, as I say, some of it may be circumstances. Some of it might be I'm gifted with a good job. I'm gifted with financial resources. My, my parents were wealthy. I, I've inherited. I have this. I, you know, it's not just skills. It's not just uh, talents that were picked up along the way or been given, given by God. And, and so the first step to applying this story is to say, what gifts has God given me? And, and we can all say, oh, we've got the gift of salvation. I've got the gift of God's presence in my life. I've got the gift of being able to pray and talk to God's throne. And, and all of that is, is true. They are gifts. But, but the, we all have those. The question is, how uh, what gifts do we have that, that are different that God has given us, perhaps not necessarily uniquely as in the only person in the world, but still in a, a fairly unique mix. So the second step as we look at this story is it involves considering how the gift can be used for God's glory. So sometimes uh, we might say, I have a gift. I can hit a baseball a long way. Okay? That's impressive. Right? Or a golf ball, take your pick. Or something. Right? I, I can, I can uh, hit, a golf, hit a baseball a long way. Well, that's a, an impressive gift. Right? Not, any, not everybody can. Um, baseball, more than any other sport in the country, has like this pyramid scheme of so many 
uh, people that make it out of high school, go to college, go to the minor leagues, and there's spring league and fall league, and then triple a, uh, single A and double A and triple A, all working their way up to try and get to be in the major leagues of baseball. Then they get there and they, they play about a dozen games. They don't hit the ball at that level and they never make it back again. They've dominated all the way up and then they... Anyways, so we get that ability, we get that, but we say that's not the question is saying, oh, I'm good at hitting a baseball, right? The question that this, par this parable asks us is how can you use that for God's glory? And so whatever gift might be, whether it be I'm an extrovert, I love talking to people. Okay, I love meeting new people. That's good. How can you use it for God's glory? I'm a tremendous cook. I just enjoy cooking. I even enjoy cleaning up after cooking. That's fantastic. How can you use it for God's glory? Uh, I, I'm, I'm an organized person. Okay? I, I just like having my life organized. I like having my spaces organized. I like having my time organized. Well, that's fantastic. How can you use it for God's glory? And so it's not enough just to say, uh, what, what's, what's my gifts? Our next question is, how can we use that for God's glory? And I think this, is, this step is one that encourages us to dream, encourages us to, to say, what's the, the biggest thing that God could do with my gifts. Okay? And, and, and it may be unrealistic. It may never come to pass. But if it did, what could it be? What is possible with the gifts that I have been given? And, and so we can maybe ask some questions as we consider this. We can say, could my gifts benefit the church? Are there ministries? Are there things the church could benefit from? Could it perhaps bless an individual in the church? Or a group, a, you know, a particular group of people in the church? Do, do my gifts, if I just love being around children, then maybe I can bless families by offering to, to uh, childcare for them at different times. Maybe that's my gift because I just really enjoy that. And so it's not blessing the church as a whole, but it sure can bless those families. Uh, in the church. Or, or what about outside the church? Is there a way that, that we can use our gifts to share God's love with people outside the church? Uh, could I use this gift in a way that makes me grow uh, and become more available to God? So perhaps if my gift is being organized, right? I, one of the things I've noticed is that people that are really good at organized um, the folks around them don't like being organized. <laughs> okay? If your gift is organization, then don't express it by organizing everyone else. Right? But if you're able to get your life organized, if you're able to, to create time for yourself to carve that out and to say, you know, I've got things the way I want them, I feel like I'm on track, uh, I've taken care of the urgent things in my life, now do you have a, you, you know, Bring yourself up to serve God in other ways. Okay, so you have improved yourself, you've used your abilities and the gifts that God's given you to, to help you grow to reach a point where now you can contribute in other areas of God's work. 
And, and you may not be leading another ministry because we don't need everybody to be saying, oh, I'm good at this, I'm going to lead this. But because I've used my gift to get myself in a good place, now I can serve in this other ministry to help somebody else exercise their, their gift. Okay, the third step then brings us back to the question, what am I doing with my gifts? What am I doing with my gifts? Because I've taken a list of what my gifts are, I've, I've created a, a, a dream of what could be possible, and don't get hung up on that first list. Don't spend the next year thinking of all the things that you're good at. Okay? Like, one, two, five, stop somewhere around there. Okay? That's more than enough to work with. Uh, but what am I doing with them? Because I think none of us want to just admit on the front end, oh yeah, I'm burying my talent. I'm burying my bag of gold. But as we go through this process, we're going to say, well, well, I'm good at this. Here's the ways I could use it for God's glory. Now, how am I really using it? And perhaps we'll come to that realization that I'm not really doing anything very much with it at all. And there may be good reasons for that. We may have to rearrange our lives. We may have to do things differently in order to make that possible. But in verse 25, um, we see there the attitude of this servant with the one bag of gold. He says, So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. It's easy for us to be critical of this guy, right? It's as though the whole story has been building for us to be critical of this guy. The master in the story is critical of this guy. But I suspect that many of us have spent time in his shoes. And we might not come right out and admit that we're afraid. If you were to say, when was the time you were afraid? Most of us aren't going to want to admit that too much unless it was something really dramatic. But we have our own list of reasons for not using our gifts. One of them is that the time has never been right. Okay. Because, of course, we're not going to take responsibility for ourselves, do we? Okay. Uh, we're, we're more likely to say things like, oh, when I get more time, then I'll use my gifts for God's glory. Or... When I get better at that skill, I'm just not ready yet. Okay? You can kick that one down the road a long way. When I'm more confident about doing it for other people. When I'm given the opportunity. I'm here. I'm waiting. I'm willing. I'm ready. I'm just waiting for someone to give me the opportunity, someone to ask me to use my gift in that particular way. When, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But so many of us have these reasons that begin with the word when. Because the time just is never right. Or maybe we, we look around and we see that someone else always seems to have greater gifts than we do. Right? Uh, I'm never going to lead a song, whether it be in front of the worship, whether it be in a small group, whether it be you know, at a picnic, at a park. I'm never going to lead a song because there's always someone there who's a better singer than I am. 
Um, I'm, but I want you to notice in the story that Jesus never compares the return on investment of each servant. He never says to the servant with the two bags of gold, what, you only doubled it? This guy doubled it. I really thought you were going to triple yours. Like, why didn't you do better than him? Or, or the one with the five is like, you know, you had a lot more to start with. You know, you should have accomplished more with it. Look what he did. Rather, each of the servants is treated on their own merits. He says the gifts, the bags of gold were distributed based on their abilities. Um, and then, uh, let me see, where does it say that? In verse 15, and, but after they're distributed based on their ability, then he just treats each person with their own set of expectations. He doesn't compare between them. And, and so comparing, we often, what we often tend to do, I think it's kind of human nature, is to compare our worst to other people's best. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried something and failed at it? And because of that, you say, oh, I can never do it. I embarrassed myself that one time. And that was the worst thing. And so I can never do it. Look how well that person does it. I could never be like that. Um, I think social media uh, does this to us, right? It, it gives people depression because we only ever share out there on social media the pictures of when we're doing well. We share the parts of our lives that we're happy for people to see. The parts of our lives that we don't want to see, that stink, that are miserable, the arguments that we have, the hurts that we have, we keep those to ourselves. And so we give this image. It's a little bit like Sunday morning in a lot of ways. We give this image of, of everything is okay. And, and in the meantime, people are comparing their worst with the best that we put on display. And so we get into this comparison. We say, I'm not going to use my gifts because my gifts are down here. And, and I might have a gift that's a million dollars, but I'm never going to use that million dollars because that person has five million dollars. They can always seem to do it better. There will always be someone who is better at us, better than us at something. Okay? No matter what we think we're good at, there'll always be someone who's better. Uh, you can be the best, and, and so much of when we say I'm the best, or someone is the best, it's subjective, right? We're not always running a 100-meter race at the Olympics with a stopwatch that measures performance. Uh, so often, if you think in your job, right, who is the best worker? Who has the best performance? Well, that's going to be a subjective evaluation, perhaps made by a superior, and perhaps that person gets a, a bigger bonus at the end of the year. Perhaps it's based on sales, but is it really that person's sales figures or are they just getting a territory that's better or are they just getting calls that happen to be better for whatever reason is there something there that favors them uh, and you can't tell and they maybe can't tell so often it's subjective who's the best musician ever what's the best popular rock and roll band of all time right well we'll get 50 different answers out of this group and it's not that any of them are right or wrong. We could measure it based on albums sold, but that doesn't mean that everybody likes them. And so 
when we get into the comparing ourselves and saying, well, I'm not going to use my gift. What if every artist out there said, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to make records because I can't be as good as the Beatles. I'm not going to sell as many albums as the Beatles, so I'm just not going to try. And we'd say, that's ridiculous. As many albums as the Beatles sold, not everybody liked them. There are other people that like other groups. And so we need to look at our own lives and say, am I not doing things because of who I'm comparing myself to? The question for us is not what other people are doing, but what do we do with what we've been given? And we're not asked when we make our list of gifts to give it a rating and then look at the person next to us and give them a rating in the same gifts. We're just asked, what do you have? What are you good at? What gifts do you have? Because all of us are better at some things in our lives than others. But there is something unrealistic about this story. No one loses any money. <laughs> Do you notice that? Like the worst case outcome is that the guy sort of loses to inflation. Right? The, the, the master is mad that he didn't at least put it in the bank and get the 0.05% interest, uh, percent interest uh, over that period of time to give back to him. The first two servants double their investment. The third breaks even. And so we're thinking, yeah, but what would have happened if one of those first two servants had taken their millions and put it in the wrong place? Made a bad decision. What if instead of doubling it, they'd halved it or lost it? What if I take a chance with my gifts, with the bags of gold God's given me? What if I ask the church, for instance, to invest a lot of money in a new ministry, in an opportunity that I see that I'm passionate about? What if I stick my neck out and say, I think we can really do this, and then it flops? What if I go to school to improve a skill or an ability or a talent that I, I think I have and I invest money and I invest time, but I actually never get good at it? What if that's wasted? What if people don't value what I'm good at? What if I'm a great basket weaver, but nobody wants any baskets? All the energy and effort that I've invested. And so, thankfully, this parable isn't the only passage that's applicable to this question. Uh, when we, we introduced this sermon series last week, we looked at Mark chapter 6. And Mark tells us the story of Jesus walking on the water, but it doesn't say anything about Peter. And so in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's there we find Peter's adventures. And, and so in Matthew chapter 14, um, Matthew 14, we have that particular story. And, and we see, we read it earlier, it was read for us earlier by Brother Leroy. And um, there's a storm. Jesus is walking on the water. And in verse 27, Jesus says to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, Come. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you 
doubts. Peter starts walking towards Jesus and then sinks. Notice Jesus' reaction. I, I don't know what the tone of the voice is, right? We just get the words there. And, and he says, oh, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I, there's no anger there. I'm saying, Peter, what are you doing jumping out of the boat in the middle of a storm? <laughs> Do you think you're Jesus? Um, <clears throat> like, <laughs> you've got a very high opinion of yourself, don't you? Um, he, he's not saying, Peter, you know, why, why did you doubt? Like, you've got to sink or swim, brother. We're going to be over there on the shore. You need to learn this lesson. Right? If you're going to jump out of the boat, you better be committed about it. You better be firm. You better follow through to the end. You cannot fail at it, Peter. Instead, Peter gets out of the boat, begins walking on the water, gives in to fear, and begins to sink. He's like the person, the, the five bag person or the two bag of gold person in, in the parable and, and he's, he's using his faith and, and he's putting it to work and then the investment goes south. And, and how would the master re- react to that? Well, we see how the master reacts. He puts out his hand and he lifts him up. And I wonder if he gave him a hug. He said, Peter, it's so good to see you out here. I'm so glad you made it here. And then he says, but, oh, I wish, I just really wish you'd you'd had the faith to keep coming. But I suspect there's also a part there that says it's going to grow. It's going to grow. Do you ever think about how did Peter get back to the boat? Do you picture Jesus like dragging him through the water? (laughs) Um, Jesus carrying him. I've got you, Peter. Yeah. I wonder if Peter didn't walk back to the boat with Jesus. So what does God think about us when we use our gifts in a way that takes risk, even if that risk fails? I think he's glad that we step out of the boat. And I want to close not by thinking about Peter, but by considering the other 11 disciples. You see, here's what I think we do. I think these two stories are very similar to each other. And and we we look at the story of the servants that have the one bag of gold and we go, oh, can't believe they buried their gold. What were they thinking? They knew what Jesus would like. They knew what the master would want. And they just buried it. Wow. I'd never do anything like that. And and then we look over at the, the boat and in the storm and we see the, the 11 disciples that are in there that don't get out of the boat. We go, yeah, they're smart. <laughs> they, they knew what they were doing. Like, like Peter, he was full of ambition, but he got out there. These guys didn't fail at all. Right? These guys were, were, didn't need to be rescued. Yeah. And, and we have these two standards. And I think oftentimes we don't realize that they're the same people. And we tend to do this in our life too, right? We look at that person who buries their talents and we say, oh, that, that's, that's bad. That's not what God wants. God gives us gifts so that we can use them. And then we look at our own lives and we've got all sorts of reasons why we don't do more than we do. Why, why we're not more involved in the lives of other people around us. Why, 
why we don't use our gifts, why we don't even know what our gifts are. Because it's sensible. Or I had a career. Or I did this other thing. Or I spent my time. Or I just wasn't comfortable. Or we can all fill in our own blanks. John Ortberg refers to those in the boat who sat there, who remained where they were comfortable. He calls them not couch potatoes, but boat potatoes. And the question is, are we a church of water, walk, water walkers or boat potatoes? So let me ask, should the church be a risk-taking organization or a risk-averse organization? What are our expectations for the church? When we put our money in the collection plate over here, are we saying, I expect the church to keep that safe? Or are we saying, I expect the church to do something radical and adventurous with it, attempting to make a difference in the world for God? Are we saying, I want the, the church to keep things, you know, make sure the building's in good repair? Or are we saying, we want to do whatever we can to get people into the building, even if it means there's holes in the, put in the wall in the process? Should a church be risk-taking or risk adverse. And I think the churches can model being what a boat potato looks like. <laughs> and, and, and the church can produce boat potatoes, encourage the growth of boat potatoes, because we can model dependence on our bank balance rather than on God. Churches can model our own comfort over the mission of Christ. Churches can model fear over faith. But collectively, we have the opportunity as the church, as individuals in the church, to encourage each other to, to take chances. Because God doesn't reprimand His people for taking too many chances in attempting to fulfill His mission. He doesn't reprimand us when we step out of the boat in faith, trusting and following Jesus. Now, there's a fine line, I think, sometimes between faith and foolishness. And sometimes we don't know the difference until afterwards. Right? And, 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 and what I love about this story is that Jesus has just spent the night in prayer up on the mountain talking to God the whole time. That's a, a deep spiritual life. But even Peter, in the middle of this storm, he doesn't spend the night in prayer trying to discern whether he should get out of the boat or not, but he does seek Jesus' wisdom, Jesus' advice. He says, Lord, if you want me to come, tell me. And Jesus says, come. And so I think one of the differences between faith and foolishness is that we take the time to uh, talk it through with God in prayer, to seek his wisdom, to seek his guidance. But it doesn't mean always spending a night in prayer. Sometimes it can just be, God, is this what we need to do? So I want to encourage you this week. Take an inventory of what gifts God has given you. Ask yourself, how could they be used for God's glory if I was to step out of the boat? And then consider, how am I 
investing them at the moment. And it's that difference, but the discrepancy between question two and question three that helps us make our decisions about the steps that we need to take next. Walking by faith. Sometimes it's on water. Sometimes it's just all around dusty trails. And as we're reminded this week and next, sometimes it's from Lawson Road down to Lakeshore Elementary and back as we put our faith, our beliefs, our values into action for God and for his glory. We're going to leave it there as we transition into the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Um, I want to uh, share some more good news with you. And I'm going to ask Melanie, if you would, just to come up here. And uh, uh, Melanie's been with us for a, a few weeks now and uh, has been a member at uh, Central, no, Northside, Northside Church of Christ uh, for a couple of minutes and, <laughs> and uh, moved out here to Greece and decided that Lawson Road was closer and uh, a place that she would like to worship and uh, put her talents, no bags of gold handed out at the door, I'm afraid, but uh, to put your gifts to, to work here with us at Lawson Road. And so we're uh, so glad to welcome you as a member of our family and, uh, and look forward to getting to know you in the weeks ahead. So uh, uh, thank you very much and uh, let's welcome her to Lawson Road. words of this song will help prepare your heart for uh, the Lord's table. <laughs> 